Well, again, I want to thank uh, those of you who are um, new today. Uh, we always welcome with open and sincere hearts anyone who comes to discover, to understand, to get a glimpse of what this Christian life might be. We also recognize that not everyone here today is a Christ follower, and we just welcome you in the name of Jesus. We respect you, respect your journey, and we just want you to know that you really matter to us. And um, one thing, the message today is about how we can reach other people for the, with the love of God and how we can care for other people. So I just wanted to take a moment and care for those of you who, here today who are not yet Christ followers. And again, we respect your journey and we respect your position where you are today. But here's what you need to know. Uh, we're a church, and we're just one of many churches, but we're a church that believes in the grace of God. And we believe that God's grace is all around us, and grace is unmerited favor. In other words, you don't have to do anything to receive it. God says, I care about you deeply. And when, what you're going to hear in the message today is about how other Christians should love you and care for you. And I want to say this to those of you who are not Christ followers yet. If you've been hurt by a Christian, and many of you have probably, if you've been hurt by the church, can I just say on behalf of them, we're sorry? It was never intended but we're sorry. So often we've come at people with condemnation and judgment, and it's just not right. And you're going to hear about that in the message today. So for those of you who are new to Christ and the Bible and church, please sit back and relax. And please hear these words from a sincere heart. But more than that, these words are from God's word that he inspired hundreds of years ago. And that word is for you today. So uh, we begin this morning. Um, we're talking about a, a brief series that's called What's Your One Step? And the premise behind this is what can we as believers, as Christ followers do to help somebody that we love, somebody that we care for, take one step closer to Jesus? How can we as Christ followers encourage people that we know and love, people we work with, people we go to church with, we go to school with, people in our family, how can we encourage them to take one step closer to Jesus. And here's how we define that process. Evangelism is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and others to bring one person one step closer to Christ. So it's not just my job, it's not just your job to reach somebody for Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is at work in the world and you're cooperating with other believers to help one person take one step closer to Jesus. Now, in, inherent in that definition are presuppositions. One presupposition is this, that we as Christ followers believe that God's love extends to all people and that God wants to redeem all people. God wants to forgive all people. God wants to save all people, if that word can be understood. God wants to take every person that's on this planet and say, I love you. I'm, you matter to me. I want to forgive you. I want to redeem you. I want you to spend eternity with me in heaven. So we as Christians take that as our, that's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, And we take that as this beautiful, amazing gift. And we keep that close to us because it's in us. But we also take that gift and we want to give that away because that's what we are called to do. We are called to make disciples. So one of the presuppositions is that we have a passion to reach people with the love of Jesus. Okay. Another presupposition is that God is already at work in our world. It's not our job to do all the work. God is already at work throughout our world. God is already at work in people's lives. In fact, those of you who today who are here and you're, you're not yet convinced, God is already at work in your life as well. And another presupposition is this, that as Christ followers, we recognize that we have a part in this. We cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And here's our part. So 
we've given you the picture the last couple of weeks of Christ followers standing at uh, around Jesus on the Mount of Olives. Okay, this happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus was resurrected. He rose from the dead by the power of God. And he was, for 40 days, he showed up in all kinds of places. We know of 513 eyewitnesses to this. So this isn't just some tradition or some story that somebody made up. Uh, a whole movement is based on this fact of the resurrection. The movement is not based on a theory, or it's not even based on doctrine. The whole movement of Christianity is based on one historical fact, and that's the resurrection. So this resurrection took place 40 days later. These Christ followers are gathered around Jesus, and Jesus says to them, Now, I'm going to leave you, and they were sad about that. But he said, I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to leave in my place my spirit. Okay, and that spirit is going to live within you, and you're going to be able to do amazing things. But here's what I want you to do. Uh, first of all, I want you all to enjoy life, raise your kids well, make sure you eat your greens, you know, make sure you exercise. You know, I want you to live your life well, do your job well, be a person of integrity, go to school, learn about math and stuff. I want you to, but when you're doing all that stuff, I want you to remember that there is one job that is more important than anything else. And it's this, to make disciples. To tell other people about this amazing gift, this love of Jesus Christ, to give them that gift of salvation by simply saying, here, it's for you if you just receive it. And to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, no matter what else you do, remember, everything you do comes through that filter. You are to make disciples. That was God's plan. He had a plan A, and he's never had a plan B. Plan A has always been you and me, the church. Okay, From the day he met with them there till today, the plan has always been you and me to take this good news to the world and share it. With Jesus Christ. So last week we talked about the first way we do that is by prayer. And we talked about prayer. We looked at some scripture. And the thing is that God says, I want you to. And in fact, if you do this for me, would you take out your cards right now if you have them? And if you don't, uh, the ushers have cards and raise your hand if you don't have one of these. and They'll give you one. OK, we want everyone to have one of these cards on the card. It says prayer. And last week we asked you to write down the names of people you're going to pray for. OK, and if you haven't done that yet, you can do that. Uh, the second category that's what we're going to talk about today is care. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before people that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So on the second category, today we're going to ask you to identify people that you can care for, that you can love. That you can love in a way that will make them curious about this good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, you will love them and care for them in a way that they'll kind of peek over the edge of the church and say, what's going on in there? Something's going on in there, and I want a part of that. And, and, and we want you to know who to care for. So, so be sure and hold, keep these cards out. And you're gonna, as you go through the message today, you might, uh, the Lord might put somebody on your mind that, okay, this is a person I'm going to care for. I'm going to love uh, like Jesus loves. So that's what we're going to do with those cards today. I mean, do you recognize that this amazing privilege we have? God is inviting us to cooperate with Him to reach one more for Jesus. That is an amazing thing. Now, let's let's uh, let's kind of uh, that's kind of the intro. I want to I want to say a couple of things and then we're going to get right into the text. So, first of all, doing nice things for people is not just the, you know, possession of the church. There are people all over the world who do nice things for each other all the time, whether they're Christ followers or not. So but that's just kind of a human thing that we should do, right, to care for other people. But it's one thing for people to say, yeah, I should do that. It's another thing as Christ followers. God says, I've commanded you to do this, to love other people, to care for other people. 
So uh, what I don't want to do today is say, okay, this is how you care for people. Take them a casserole. You already know that. Help a little lady across the street. You already know that. Somebody that's sick, go and visit them. You already, okay, you already know how to do that. So what I want to give you today, and I think this is what really matters, and this is what gets to the heart of it, I want to give you the motivation for why you should care for someone. The motivation for why you show love to someone. So here's what happened after Jesus ascended into heaven. These 120 people are there. There may have, might have been others. But now these 500 people, what we find is for the next... Hundred years, those 500 people turn into about 200,000. There's never been a movement like this in the history of the world. Those of you that are historians, check it out. And don't just check out the Bible, check out other historical evidence during the first two centuries. And so this movement, which remember wasn't, there weren't churches with steeples, right? This, the word ecclesia, which means church, ecclesia means a, a group of people. So this group of people, took this amazing gift of God's love and they took it and they started sharing it with other people and it grew and it grew and it grew. So these 12 disciples originally turned in to 120 and then to 513 and then to thousands. And, and what's amazing is that this, this, this movement uh, didn't have any leverage. They had no finances. They had no political persuasion. There wasn't Republicans and Democrats. They had no educational leverage. Only a couple of the disciples were educated at all. So they only had one thing and one thing alone to deliver this gospel with. And that one thing was loving other people. That was it. That's the only thing they had to deliver it, was the love of other people. Look at John thirteen thirty-five. By this one thing, notice it doesn't say one of many. By this one thing, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. By this one thing. Now you say, well, but pastor, I mean, what about going to church and tithing and, and praying and reading the Bible? Those things are all really good. Those, but those are all things that believers do to make themselves grow and to get stronger. But what Jesus is talking about is, here's what I want you to do in order to spread this gospel throughout the world. The way you do that is by loving one another. Yeah, but I'm a pastor, I tithe and I'm baptized and, I, and, I, and I've got sound doctrine and I do really good at, crit, at, at criticizing non-Christians. That's one of my spiritual gifts. And I, and I do all this stuff. You know. No, that's not, that's not what... He, Jesus said, no, 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 no. Those things are not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how you deliver the good news of Jesus. And he said, there's only one way you do that, and that's through love. There's no other way. Not by having sound doctrine. Not by having the Bible and hitting somebody over the head with it. Sound doctrine is good. The Bible, of course, is good. But we're talking about how to deliver this good news, and it's always the one thing. So here's Jesus. And the elders, and the, in Jesus' day, the elders and the Pharisees were always trying to trick him. And so they asked him a question. Uh, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Now, that was a trick question because, of course, we have the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. And then beyond the Ten Commandments, there's 600 other commandments. Already, I feel tired uh, from just thinking about 600 commandments. And then in addition to those 600 commandments, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day for thousands of years, the religious leaders built in tens of thousands more commandments to explain the other commandments. So now you've got a commandment to explain a commandment that was explained over here. And so you've got all these rules and regulations. And so the Pharisees are thinking, okay, 
uh, Jesus is going to trip up on this and we'll make fun of him if he does. So we're going to ask him, which is the most important commandment? And if he says adultery, we'll say, no, it's really murder. If he says obey your parents, we'll say, no, it's really coveting. And we'll always have an answer that he's wrong. So they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? This is what he said. Mark chapter 12. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no, listen to this, there is no commandment greater than this. Now, the Pharisees probably heard that and they said, oh, now what do we do? Okay. I mean, he didn't talk about the commandments. He didn't talk about adultery and about coveting and about honoring your parents and stuff like that. What do we do now? What do we do with this thing now? See, this thing is by any means unambiguous. This way of delivering the good news of Jesus Christ and his amazing uh, desire to love and forgive people is done only one way, and that's through love. It's not done through having the best doctrine. It's not done through having the biggest Bible. It's not done through having the best church attendance. It's not done by being baptized the best. It's not done by any of those things. It's done by loving other people. Now, this is, this is kind of amazing to me. This is really right out of the Bible. There's nothing about this that is in any way different or unusual, but yet that's not been the message for the last 1,700 years. Now you say, why 1,700? Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. That's not been the message for the last 1,700 years. The last 1,700 years, it's been this. Do it my way or you go to hell. Do it this way or you're no good. Do it this way, you're not part of the club. And it's always been this, what do you do and how do you do it? And if it doesn't fit what we think you should do, you're out of the club. That was never the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ever. So here, that's Jesus' words, right? And he put the Pharisees in their place. 25 years later, Paul, the Apostle Paul, and again, those of you who have not been around church, he was one of the first and greatest leaders of the church. 25 years later, Paul says it a different way. And then 15 years after Paul, John wrote it in an even different way in, uh, in about uh, 60 AD. So here's what Paul said in Romans 13. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not covet, and whatever other commandments there may be, are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, he didn't say the commandments were wrong. They're not wrong. The Ten Commandments were given to people thousands of years ago to say, you know what, if you guys live this way, you're going to have a really good life. But if you ignore these things... You're going to have a really messed up life. So the commandments were given, were good. They were good. The problem was nobody could keep them. <laughs> Everybody tried, but nobody could keep them. And so what he's saying here, there's nothing wrong with commandments, but let me tell you what's kind of above all of those commandments. What's, what, what, what is um, a kind of the overarching principle of all those commandments. And it's this, to love your neighbor, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, to love your neighbor as yourself. All the teachings that you and I grew up with hang on these two laws. Everything else flows from and is subservient to the law of love. Every teaching, every sermon, every what about this, what about sex, what about marriage, what about race, what about war. Everything is seen through the filter of what it means to love one another. Now, the church has ignored this for 1700 years. I don't think it's right. We... A lot of, a lot of people that stay away from church, I talked to a guy this week. A father of one of you. 
And he said, 50 years ago, I looked in church. He was in a, is a, a Lutheran church. Nothing against Lutherans. That's our, our history. But he looked in his church and he saw these guys that prayed and said they loved God. And then the rest of the week, they lived like the devil. I said, I don't need that kind of hypocrisy. That's baloney. I'm not doing that. And I, I don't blame them. Now, a lot of people have done that. And they said, man, I just don't want that kind of hypocrisy. I'll tell you why they see hypocrisy. Because people may have good doctrine. They know the Bible really well. They have, and they can tell you it and they can hit you on the head with it. But when it comes to loving and to care, caring for people and giving your life and giving your time and loving people that are different from you, that have different philosophy, they look different. They have tattoos and all kinds of metal in their bodies and, and everything. Everything's different. It's those kind of people that we tend as Christians to say, well, you're just not part of our club. And Jesus said, that's absolutely the wrong way to go. Jesus said, the part of my club are those people that I love to go and hang out with at the bars and the prostitutes. Those are the people that I love because their hearts are real, they're open, and they are hungry for the good news. This thing, love, should not be an addition to, how, to good doctrine. This love is overarching good doctrine. It's primary. It's first response. And it all comes out of this one question. And I want this one question to burn in your soul today and for the rest of this message. And that one question is this. What does love require of me? When I meet somebody, when I meet uh, somebody that I'm afraid of, maybe a Muslim, what does love require of me? When I deal with my wife, what does love require of me? When I deal with somebody that makes me really angry or has offended me or hurt me, what does love require of me? Everything we do and everything we say should come through the filter of what does love require of me. If you are not a Jesus follower, I understand why you got so upset and understand why you haven't done a very good job in kind of checking out your faith or the faith that we talk about. Because not many people in your life have said, I love you just because of who you are. Now, for the next few minutes, I want to I want to tell you how extraordinarily brilliant Jesus teaching was on this. Remember, these early Christ followers, disciples. And by the way, we use the word disciples, at least I do much more because the word Christian was only used three times in the Bible. And it was usually used in a derogatory way. So uh, and, and incidentally, Christian, the word Christian can mean anything you want it to mean. Some people in our world think Christian means you're a Republican. Some think it means you're a Democrat. Some people mean thinks that it means you believe in God. Some people think it means you're a Westerner. So it can mean anything you want to be. But a disciple, one who's a follower of Jesus, that's a whole different thing. So I'll talk about what it means to be a disciple. Now, this teaching of Jesus is incredible. So in the early disciples, uh, there was they had no influence, influence no leverage. Uh, they were in the armpit of Rome. And their empire was a support. It was kind of a, uh, an assortment of fishermen and tax collectors, uneducated people and all. They were kind of the lower middle class of the day. And yet this teaching to love Jesus, to live for him and to, yes, to even die for him, transformed the world. And how did that happen? Let me illustrate it in a personal way. Um, there are two categories of people that made you who you are today. Now, some of you are going to think this is heresy, but please hear me to the end of this. Those two categories of people that made you or broke you are not religious people, necessarily. They're not people that knew a lot about the Bible, had good doctrine. Some of you may have been influenced by those people, but let me tell you what influenced. You weren't influenced by good doctrine. 
You weren't influenced by religion. You were influenced by one of two things. People that loved you and people that hurt you. Every single person you can think of in your life that has had a profound effect on you has been people who have loved you and loved you profoundly or hurt you. And we know about all the hurt. I mean, we have many of the soul. We have Ava. We do all kinds of things to help people kind of get healthy from things that happened to you when you were younger, when you were a child, when you had no ability to to stop terrible things happening to you. So, so we really care for those people really well. But here's the deal. The reason you're so profoundly affected by that is because somebody hurt you. Not be, Because I'll tell you what, and I've known them, I've known a lot of people that have really good doctrine that hurt people. And they have all oh, they have they know the Bible. They can quote Bible in verse. We had a neighbor in San Diego, her name was Carolyn. Carolyn had a father who was head of one of the largest missionary organizations in the United States. And yet for twenty years not twenty years, seventeen years, that father sexually abused Carolyn. What do you think she thought about the church? What do you think she thought about good doctrine? What do you think she thought about somebody that quoted the Bible? You see, we're either tremendously influenced by those who have hurt us or those who have done something amazing in our lives. One side or the other. If you have extraordinary health, it's probably because you were loved well by your parents and maybe a coach, a teacher, a mentor, probably not a theologian, but you felt something in your soul that was healed and that was because somebody loved you profoundly. You live your life today by doses of those two things, the way you have been treated has more to do with who you are than what you believe. Now, again, that sounds like heresy, but who you are today has a lot more to do with how you were treated and how you were loved or not loved than what you believe. This is why Jesus' words were so extraordinarily profound. It's extra important that we get this, church, that we get this. This is our best play. This is our greatest leverage. This is our greatest opportunity. And that is to love profoundly. If people were either set on a negative course by something bad or on a positive course by something good, why aren't we as the church doing this every single day? Instead of telling somebody, you are a bad person. What on earth good does that ever do anybody? Instead of saying, let me tell you. Let me love you in such a way. Let me care for you in such a way that you're going to look at my life. You're going to look at my community and you're going to say, you know, I don't understand a lot about Christianity. I don't understand a lot about the Bible or Jesus. But here's one thing I know. This person has loved me. And I am so curious about why. This person has loved me deeply. Here's what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. What does love require of me? Now, that's the motivation. That's the why, the caring for people. I hope that resonates with your soul, that you can profoundly change people's lives, even the course of their lives, by how you love them in Jesus' name. But there's some practical things we can do as well, besides just loving them. One, one of the things we can do practically is this, is to nurture friendships. And I mean nurture friendships with people that are far from God. Nurture friendships that are people that are different from you, different color skin than you, a different religion from you, a different a sexual orientation from you. Love people who are different, you, but just love them. 
Don't try and change them or fix them or adjust them or tell them they're wrong or bad or anything. Just love them. And when you do that, you're going to be amazed at what people are going to start kind of looking at your life and saying, well, why are you doing that? And you say, well, because Jesus has loved me, I want to show that love to you. Romans 12, 16 says, be friendly with everyone. Don't be proud and feel that you are smarter than others. Make friends with ordinary people. Now, what that doesn't say, and I'll have to add this, is that when you make friends with ordinary people, remember, you guys are the ones that are the idiots. Okay? Remember that? The first people in the first century, Peter and all those guys, they were called idiotes. They were called idiots because they were completely out of touch with the world. They were always talking about this Jesus. So, make friends with ordinary people. Maybe you'll become more ordinary. There's a good chance of that. Maybe not. Here's what we've talked about in our church for... 12 years, actually 13 years now. Invest and invite. You invest your life in the life of someone that you care for. A friend, a relative, someone that uh, you care for deeply, that you love. You invest your life in them, and then when it's appropriate, you invite them to come to a Bible study, to a worship service, uh, to uh, something, a, a Matthew party at your house. You invite them to your house, and you say, hey, I, I want to I show you that all Christians aren't weird. Okay, yeah, most of us are, but not all of us. And I want to show you that. Okay, invest and invite. Now, so we need to nurture friendships. We also need to nurture a heart of compassion, a father's heart. Not seeing people with the world's eyes, not seeing people that have AIDS or are divorced or have an alternative lifestyle or have messy pasts or a lazy lifestyle or they're screwed up or they've offended my sensibilities or they've fallen short or they've abused the system. Instead of seeing people like that, to see them like this. Listen. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim the captives will be released and the prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. You see, when you start seeing people as possibilities, people as loved by God, you start seeing them in a whole different category. We need to nurture those uh, eyes that we have to see people in the way that God sees them. And then finally, we need to nurture a love for our enemies. Now, that sounds really odd. And the reason it sounds odd is that there's no other religion in the world that talks about loving your enemies. Christianity is the only one. And see, in those first three centuries, uh, when these disciples were spreading this good news, again, they didn't have any money, they didn't have any leverage, they didn't have any politics, anything like that. All they had was the love of God. And they gave that out and they portioned that to everyone that they saw. And it literally transformed the world. By the end of the third century, there were at least, at least a half a million believers on this planet. Because it all started with those 12 guys. Here's what Jesus was getting at when he said, Above all else, the highest value, love one another. Then they will know you are my disciples. You see, when the church leverages anything other than love, we lose. If you leverage judgment, judgmentalism, we lose. If you leverage condemnation, we lose. If you leverage 
them and us, you lose. If you leverage anything else except love, the church loses. And therefore, Jesus loses. And God's plan to make disciples loses. Once upon a time, a handful of Jesus' followers had only one gospel and only one delivery system. They had no Bible, no TV, no radio, no iPads, no iPods, no four spiritual laws. They only had one thing, and it was this. Love one another. Love one another. And it was enough. You see, it's not about the commands, but about the heart of the commander. It's not about power over. It's about power under. It's about influencing the world, one person at a time. Love one another. Not coercion, not legislation, not commandments. But the early disciples, were, it was said of them, see how they love one another. So that it becomes something that is absolutely irresistible. Here's the question to take home with you. What does love require of me? Would you bow your heads with me, please?